why is Harry Potter never anyone's favorite character in Harry Potter? Can you be a real fan if you only saw the movies and never read the books? Why is this fandom so obsessed with the Marauders? These are all questions that will be answered in part two of my conversation with Eric Skull from MuggleCast, along with characters that were just absolutely assassinated by the author, his thoughts on the upcoming TV series, and more. Welcome to Belated Binge Harry Potter, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach. Let's do it. The Belated Binge Podcast. So you said you had a bunch of questions. I'd really like to get to you. I do. I do. The strangest way that I feel like I can uh, describe the Harry Potter fandom as somebody who has gotten into it so late and is still so much, very much just like kind of like on the outskirts of it, looking into it. I'm, I'm sort of getting in, I I guess you could say, is that it is weirdly gatekeepy while being incredibly welcoming which seems like the juxtaposition of a lifetime but it's but what i mean is like the fact that i can exist within it and that i've actually been welcomed by so one of the most reward most rewarding things about having this podcast has been interacting and building relationships with other podcast hosts within this space that have been in this space like yourself like the julianas like the um folks over at the restricted section i've been on i've been on so many podcasts pottership i've been on um i've been on the dusty cauldron i've been on um gosh i'm gonna try not to i've worked with first years i've worked with um i've worked with the fox and the foxhound like i've worked with so many of these great podcasts and gotten to know these people in and it's been so welcoming and so like amazing. And the fact that anybody listens to this podcast is like, it is open to new content and new ideas and new perspectives in a way that like blows my mind from somebody who really most of my life has been like sports driven and sports media and content driven that like, that's the complete opposite. You're an idiot in that, <laughs> in that area, no matter oh, what I am. you have yes, to say. Me specifically, like, absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, like it, it, you can have decades of experience, open your mouth once and you are just an idiot. If you, if you're talking sports, oh, that's just okay. how okay. that, like, you know, People that's just so how combative. that world is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, but this, like it's, it is welcome. New, new is welcome to this fandom that has been around for so long, which is amazing to me. But what is almost gatekeepy is your, the interpretation of like characters and motivations and stuff like that. Like I have been absolutely roasted on social media for certain takes that I've had about characters and portrayals of in my interpretation of those characters and their motivations and stuff like that, where people are like, you are an absolute moron that like doesn't deserve to breathe kind of like level of just like probably fair in some aspects, but it's, it's very (laughs) common where they're, where you get into these discussions on the, and maybe it's because it's an internet driven fandom. People are very, very bold and very like over the top in their, like their interpretation of it. And if yours differs from there, they're going to you know, defend and almost attack. So that almost, almost feels gatekeepy, but on the whole, it's actually a very, very welcoming place. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. That is a really interesting kind of way of looking at it. And and certainly your perspective is super valid. I also think you deserve to be breathing. So please keep doing that. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And a lot of that is my daughter thinks you, if anybody, yeah, a couple of, a couple of, (laughs) a couple of things come to mind when you say that, but number one is that's internet commenting for you. Yeah. Um, You're like, because of anonymity, which the internet has dabbled with over time, uh, it used to be that like on AOL screen names, you would choose just whatever was like loosely about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when Facebook happened, it was like you're showing up as your authentic self, your name. And then now when like individual fans became brands of their own, it, it became important to have your own name or a really popular handle. And now I feel like they're like on LinkedIn and stuff. There's like this. It needs to be you authentic. But mm-hmm. people still like on Reddit or on Discord or whatever, you just pick a handle and you can insult somebody or on YouTube <laughs> and you can just be so violent and so mean mm-hmm. because of anonymity. It's so crazy to watch like 
what spaces are we ourselves and could face potentially blowback and consequences for our actions versus (laughs) where can we just shit talk somebody uh you know on the web and that's such a wild thing so i think a lot of that is like don't read your own comments or or understand if you're going to read comments on literally anything you've ever posted on the internet be prepared for trolls and awful people and don't take it personal and it's one of the hardest lessons to learn because every i mean i'm i've been doing this for ages and everything feels personal still um every negative comment uh but it's not it's really, really, really not. But the other thing that I will say about, uh, you know, the gatekeepy aspect of it, there have been certain things in this fandom that have always divided people. Uh, do you ship Harry and Ginny or do you ship Harry and Hermione? And uh, back before the books had ended, that was a major divide uh, mm-hmm. among people. It was it was made worse uh, when Emerson Sparts interviewed J.K. Rowling in her home in Scotland and uh, they had just read, I think, the seventh book, and Emerson was like, oh, God, thank God Harry ended up with Ginny. Uh, can you imagine uh, if it were Harry Hermione? And then J.K. Rowling, like, sniggered to him and was like, haha, yeah, I've always thought the people that thought Harry would end up with Hermione are like, hmm, and she was searching for the word, and then Emerson supplied delusional, and she goes, ha, 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 kind of a thing, and like, man, the fandom, that was a dark day. There were probably death threats. <laughs> Like people who really thought that Harry and Hermione were anything more than brother and sister that should end up together, that they compl- completed each other or whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the Phantom and, and and that's the thing is these stories mean so much to each person. That's yeah. the other thing, especially if you have been in the fandom for years, you feel protective of your personal interpretation. Uh, you feel defensive of your personal interpretation, especially if you're somebody that the more times you reread a book, the more ammo you get to form your own wrong opinion about the book. And so <laughs> and so it makes you more defensive. And because we're on the Internet and anybody can say shit to anybody else, that compounds the problem. And so I really think that there have always been those lines uh, across the fandom of like, mm-hmm. if you say something wrong uh you know if you say something there's a chance a lot of people will actually disagree with it but it it doesn't it doesn't mean you're wrong but yeah it's like the gatekeeping aspect of the fandom i can see that and i can also see it was always an issue talking about other divides in fandom Mm -hmm. whether you were a harry potter fan whether you could consider yourself a fan of harry potter if you just saw the movies yeah, I was. That was the next thing that I that I was thinking of was book wa- book readers versus movie watchers and uh, that feud that I'm sure has been. I still don't have an answer for it. <laughs> like the obvious answer is you're still a fan if you just saw the movies. Yeah, you can like, be a Harry Potter fan, a movie fan. Yeah, that's okay. Sure, you but, can be a uh, fan but, of but, but like you know, but the part of me that's like, but the books are so much better. Oh, they're so much better. Wants to tell everybody to go and do that, and if calling them not a real fan will inspire them to read the book so they can become <laughs> a real fan approved by me. So there's a gatekeeping aspect in me, and it but it Fair. comes from a place of wanting them to you know see the good quality. But what is and isn't good quality is also subjective. Maybe there's people yeah. out there that think that the books are childish. Maybe there's people, because there's people out there that disagree with me on certain movies and what they mean and, and you know, whether they're good or not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a wide world. I think it's because people feel so intimately connected with these stories. They're engaging with the stories on such a level that you will get a lot of that sort of toxicity or the potential mm-hmm. for toxicity in online fandom spaces. That's just how it all works. Yeah. Okay, so into the characters. Mm. I posted an Instagram reel a while back and it did it did well for me but i think it goes back to an idea in the fandom of you can't be or i guess i should ask it this way can you be a real harry potter fan if harry potter is your favorite character in harry potter it's an interesting choice uh, <laughs> i'm roasting you it's it's uh no go. yes you yes you can um but i think there's there's an aversion to choosing most people i think have an aversion to choosing harry as their favorite character and even I if when even if when you get down to it harry potter's like it's important everyone likes harry potter it's important everyone reading the book that he's not so annoying yeah. like he is like he is in book 5 oh, that wow. yeah. you that you turn away from harry potter but mm-hmm. 
there's a benefit in characterization to being a cool teacher or like a Remus Lupin or a serious play that are only in certain books mm -hmm. because it's more bite-sized. Uh, the human mind can fill in the gaps. There's a yeah. lot of head cannons out there. That's a big thing of like what Tonks was really like or what her school years would have been like or with the Marauders. It's like, let's imagine what they, and because there's like fertile ground there for imagining, mm -hmm. that's a reason why people gravitate away from Harry because everything Harry has ever done has been chronicled. Yep, that was actually that was that was literally what the real said was or was Harry Potter would be your favorite character in the series if it wasn't told from his perspective. That's interesting. But because you spend the entire time inside of his head, you choose somebody else. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I like that checks out on my end and 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 because we do think about it that way about what what you're saying is we gravitate towards the hero. And if it weren't written from his perspective, we want to hear that story of him persevering because the yeah. hero's journey is as old as time. It goes back to Beowulf and Gilgamesh. It's like you, you know, the earliest story ever written uh, had heroes and villains. And that's the kind of story we consume. It is a consequence of the fact that the books are written from Harry's perspective that we don't, that more people don't choose him as a favorite character, but he's great. <laughs> Okay, so another thing that this fandom has going in it that is as consistent as, as anything else, this fandom is obsessed with the Marauders, as obsessed with the Marauders as Snape is with Lily, it seems. Wow. Why? That implies, that implies a degree of unhealthy love, actually, which I, which I it, find amusing. It, but it also might be true. Uh, what is it about the Marauders? And I... I I bring this up with you specifically because I'm pretty sure <laughs> this is right in your wheelhouse. Like, but what is it about the Marauders? Like why that aspect? Why have so many people latched on to that? I love this question so much. Uh, <laughs> of course I have a very specific theory. Uh, I have a very Please. specific theory that answers this question. So if you look at Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, which we're actually currently about to wrap up on MuggleCast. We have, I think, two chapters left of our chapter-by-chapter -chapter revisit. Shout out to MuggleCast. Um, available <laughs> wherever podcasts are found. Yeah, it's some show we <laughs> never, do. Never heard of it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, so if you look at book three, the entire crux of the book is this uh, misdirect. It's a mystery surrounding Sirius Black. You're told from the get-go there's an escaped prisoner from Azkaban that is coming to kill Harry. And you're like, okay, this is the third time we've read this book. Uh, you know, there's always somebody bad coming for Harry. It's always going to resolve at the end of the, the, the book. <laughs> well, however, this book dares do something different because the connection that Harry has to the so-called bad guy is not that he killed his parents or even mm -hmm. what the book wants you to think, which is that he betrayed Harry's parents. What <laughs> ends up happening is it's not actually Sirius Black who is the bad guy, but another one of his Potter's friends and who witnesses it and who becomes Harry's best teacher other than another one of Harry's friends, uh, parents' friends. So the Marauders in Sirius Black Remus Lupin, Peter Pettigrew, and the now deceased James Potter uh, complete this hitherto unexplored area up to that point in the Harry Potter books mm -hmm. of Harry's origin. We tend to overemphasize in Western culture and in storytelling this concept of where are we from? Where do we come from? And in order to do that, we look at our roots, but roots go beyond upbringing. They go to our parents, who were our parents. And any orphan, of course, would want to know who his parents are. And so the fact that book three really deeply explores, uh, you know, who his parents were gives a feeling of excitement, but also emotional depth that the first two books lack. And it is the uh engagement with this story that informs who harry is because it tells us who his parents were or at least what his dad was like that the high of receiving that catharsis or the high of receiving that emotional depth fuels the entire obsession with the marauders at large uh for the rest of time 
<laughs> I think I, so the short answer to your question is, I think the obsession that people have healthy or otherwise with the Marauders comes straight down to how good the twist is at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban and this idea that his parents were friends with each other and had fun Hogwartsian shenanigans that we don't actually additionally know anything about. So it is something to do with the ripe, fertile ground that our brains can go to um, because the topic is almost never explored again. And when it is, it's about a little something different, you know, Snape's worst memory mm-hmm. and Prince's Tale. Um, but because we got that amazing revelation that his parents were all friends, they liked each other and were betrayed by somebody else. Uh, it's just a, it's an, it's a good enough hook. It's a good enough twist and it's a good enough, uh, place for imagining and is unique in that way. There's, there's nothing else that, that crops up in the Harry Potter books, uh, that is as emotionally impactful when it crops up or as emotionally, I think, resonant in the rest of the series, uh, because Harry, again, is a story about an orphan and learning learning who his parents were and knowing that they had fun times together is just like the ultimate place of imagining, I think, for it captures all of our imaginations. Is it for you the for you? Is it the draw of the like for the foursome or are you also fascinated in the like snape lily side of that whole marauders era for me it's for me it's about the four but uh a reason that i think it is about the four is because the snape lily stuff is well explored um we get more of that we do get a lot more of it, especially because the additional Marauder stuff is exclusively through the lens of Snape. So Snape's worst memory, Harry's in his memory uh, and Prince's tale, Harry's in his memories. And so (laughs) you, you see kind of the very well-developed fall from grace that Severus Snape, who is the boy that told Lily, she was a witch, the boy that gave Lily I mean, this is why I can see people at least initially shipping Lily and Snape is Snape was her escape from her awful muggle sister uh, <laughs> and her life. Snape was Lily's Hagrid, you know, who yeah. really not suggesting Harry and Hagrid should be romantically involved. Let me state that. But I'm saying I'm like, sure he, it exists. He showed Snape showed Lily a whole new world and it was his greatest pleasure to do so. To be able to tell her, I know something that you are, and she had no idea. And so their friendship in those early books where she relied on him to give her more information was very, uh, you know, great because it gave him a purpose that he never had also coming from an abusive household. And these are all things that are in the books. And so I'm mm-hmm. talking with more depth now about Snape and Lily than I ever could have brought the Marauders because there's more of that kind of explanation and yeah. the fall from grace and and sort of Snape calling Lily a mudblood and, and you know, her really coming to him with these reservations about who he's hanging out with at school. All these beats are there. We know it. And so I think yeah. that because, because it's more fleshed out, uh, it's less fertile ground for imagining and wanderings. And so I tend to focus on the Marauders, which I still don't know kind of exactly how the Peter Pettigrew betrayal wasn't seen coming a mile away um by them you know and and that speaks to like it or not speaks to a level of uh savvy with peter um you know in order to have been able to do that even though he's a big weasel um or just being so irrelevant even within your own friend group that nobody's paying attention to anything you're doing anyway (laughs) Yeah, but then it also goes back to that. No, right. And it goes back to that trope of uh, we make our own enemies. You know, we make yeah. our own worst enemies. And the way in which those boys treated Peter, um, they certainly don't excuse is he still made the choice well, yeah, uh, to and betray I, them. And but, I don't think yeah. we have enough either just in the defense of the rest. Like, I don't think we have enough on the page that actually suggests they treated him poorly. Like, he may have been the tag along, but he was along you know what I mean? Like they still, yeah. they could have easily ostr- ostracized, ostrac- like, yeah, like excluded him. Yeah, he um, could have easily not. Be, it could have not been four of them. You know what I mean? They obviously liked him. 
they obviously yeah, well like, you, you know, know if you i think i think harry observes either Pettigrew being bullied by james or so they're like I think they make some kind of disparaging remark about his intelligence or his capability or something, or 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 somebody says in front of Peter that Peter nearly wet himself trying to get like the snitch from James. Or do, do you, are you remembering something like this? I I, I yes, seem to remember, perhaps. But I guess so the idea, yeah, the idea that James and Sirius were bullies goes a long way to explaining kind of if they saw Peter as that tag along, they would have bullied him too, and it might not be as intensely as they did Snape, but you're you know we have this situation in real life all the time where our friends mm. might be rude to us and um we might be in an uneven friendship uh that that causes us to feel actually quite resentful uh that we aren't respected more um so th there's elements of that that i think make it explainable i i think that's true i also i come from a diff like a the perspective that and i i in my real life, I, I tell people this all the time. If I'm not giving you shit, it means I don't like you. Mm. Like, and and that's how I interpret the Marauders so much. Like, because those were my friend groups. Like, we roasted each other. Like, yeah. that was part of our friendship. Like, so the, the if we weren't doing that, it's you weren't in it. <laughs> it I think so I, I, that makes I, a lot of sense. I very much like I think of it in in that way a lot. But, like, uh, anyway. Yeah, but was everybody on the same page in that roasting group? Typically, I think we were, but I but there was definitely there were definitely elements I can I can say from experience of when the friend groups when the 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 when people collided, right? Like when it was all one on one, you always felt like you knew where you were, but once more were introduced and you were all kind of on that same page you've started to like discern a pecking order that's I it guess. so like i i i can relate to that in a lot of ways but it also didn't make me want to kill any of my friends uh well right right yeah uh that's good to know you, you know uh, you're a normal person uh, scraps who... might happen but like you know yeah. murder doesn't need to <laughs> No, that's fair enough. Uh, and, and you know, Pettigrew uh, himself uh, talks about, you know, essentially being tortured by Voldemort um, right. into revealing what he did. But, you know, later his defense of himself doing so is not worth the uh, words that it cost. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, but like, that's the thing is, if you think about four, here's another reason the Marauders are so popular. If you think about four people that were friends, you're talking about, I think, 16 relationships uh you know because or or at least 12 like their relationship with each other one-on-one -on -one, like you're mm -hmm. saying uh and and the dynamics uh they're yeah. in and then when three of them are together and one of them's out no matter who it is there's a separate relationship dynamic to explore mm -hmm. so it is very i think titillating to um explore or think about kind of because each character is well written enough to be fundamentally different people um yeah. so the idea that they were friends is really exciting yeah Sirius Black, a very interesting character within the fandom. Uh, I believe your favorite character. Yeah, I would say so. I they there okay. there was a time where I think it went away. I think I cooled a little bit, um, and I couldn't pinpoint when or who what character I would have gone to. Um, but uh, as of the last several years, it's back, baby. Like. Uh, serious <laughs> black yeah serious black um definitely favorite character nice he's very interesting within the fandom uh I i'm gonna start with with me because this yeah. to me this is actually fairly interesting um in my interpretation of serious black and that's the fact that he i i don't like him more than i do and the reason is because the way that he's portrayed in the books is exactly his his image is exactly the type of character that I typically would gravitate towards. I'm like, I love Sons of Anarchy. I literally cover the Sons of Anarchy on this podcast. Like, Sirius Black, there's plenty of fan fiction that put him in a cut, like a leather jacket. He fits. He's got motorcycle posters on his walls. He's he's the you know the the incarcerated the the edgy the warped sense of humor rough around the edges. He has a motorbike. Like, Yes, like he has a motorcycle. Like we we could go, we could ride together. Like we could be boys. 
Why aren't you boys and with yet. Sirius? <laughs> Why? And yet. Is it, well, wait, is it because your favorite character is Harry? No, he's and... not. He's not. I, it's oh. just the thought exercise. Uh, oh, I'm actually, okay. I, I find Dumbledore incredibly fascinating. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's like my favorite. Dumbledore is probably my favorite character in the series, particularly because I think there's a lot to discuss. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot to it. And it's, uh, it's, it's just a fascinating like discussion point. So I really like Dumbledore, but serious. It's the, it's the level of immaturity. It's the, um, it's the like pettiness, particularly the pettiness towards Harry that he displays at points, uh, particularly in like the, I'm, I'm, I'm hearkening back to the, well, the thrill would have been what made it fun for James, you know, that this nonsense, like you're literally trying to take the child like into harm's way to get your own, uh, uh, need for picks yeah yeah like 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 validation and for danger and whatever else that stuff bugs me and he and i understand that he had a stalling you know those 12 years that he was in azkaban he was like emotionally he, stunted from yeah you yeah. yeah i don't expect him to be had to fully have his stuff together mm-hmm. but he is very annoying to harry in in a in a section enough of the book and like sulky enough that it just bugs me and like bums me out when I read it to the point where like at his death, this is, this is when I realized that I was like, eh, on serious more so than I ever thought that I was up to that point is when Sirius died, I didn't care that Sirius was dead. I cared about what it represented to Harry and like what Harry felt about losing Sirius. That's why I cared about the death. Like the fact that Sirius wasn't going to be in the books anymore and I wasn't going to read any more about Sirius was like, I that part bothered me. And it was like, oh, I really thought that I liked him more than I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, how I defend sort of, not Sirius, but Sirius being my favorite character. Um, and the reason there was like a period of time where it was away, but then got stronger is I started giving myself permission to dislike the author. Imagine what coincided that happened with that. But I started giving myself permission to dislike specific choices that were made at specific moments in the Harry Potter books. So I Mm -hmm. think that Order of the Phoenix as a whole amounts to Sirius Black's character assassination. It really is. Yeah, it is because she puts him in his house she coops him up for an entire year makes him as restless as harry is so they're never going to get along because they're both suffering greatly due to circumstances of the plot and then she murders him uh and it's in front of harry and so he is the sacrificial goat that needs to exist so Harry can continue losing people close to him so he can continue being this on this hero's journey where you have to do everything on your own and you can't have any comfort. Yeah. But at the moment that we just covered on MuggleCast where Sirius first mentions living with him, Harry living with him, um, you know, it's this very touching, I beg you to reread it. It's oh, this yeah. very, it's very touching scene. He's like, I don't know if anybody told you, but yeah. now that we're now that we're on this path, to redemption here and peter's gonna you know be turned in and i'm gonna be a free man i don't know if anybody ever told you i'm your grandfather and like i i understand if you want to like and he's he's shy about it he shuffles yeah. his feet and he's like <laughs> i don't know i don't know if you want to leave you want to stay uncle. with your aunt and uncle yeah 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 like and then when harry's like his the only thing harry can do because his brain is exploding is going are you insane and sirius is who's been accused of being insane by every probably major media publication for the last 13 years uh is just like of course i thought you wouldn't want to like 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 he expects it he's let down but like the glee when harry says of course when can i move in do you have a place is real glee and in that moment harry sees the man from his parents wedding photo for the first time in 13 years and like that's serious black and then in goblet of fire he has an upwards trajectory where he's able to provide lines like 
if you want to see the measure of a man, Ronald, look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. Mm -hmm. um, perfect guidance. That yeah. is perfect godfather guidance. And it's only in Order of the Phoenix when Molly Weasley, the world's most biggest mother hen, has to come up with a reason for Harry not to trust him as much that she comes up with, you see Harry as James, which is not untrue in some 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 circumstances, but blown way the hell out of proportion every minute of the rest of that year. Yeah. It's it, to the point where the movieism is, nice one, James. Oh, I hate that so much. I hate but that so much. never would have happened in the books. Yeah. Never would have happened in the books. And the, because there's nuance there that gets buried. And so I I really blame the author for, because because Sirius had to die um, for the story of what the, the author wanted to do. Uh, but she she plays with her food. She makes, she before she eats it, she makes him suffer. She makes him miserable to be around. Harry can't stand to be around him. Nobody can stand to be around Harry. And it's a poison that courses through the whole book. And so if your dislike of Sirius as a character is based on books five stuff, which how can it not be, right? Um, you know, then then I understand completely why you're you're chilled on the guy. But but I think I he think... had a hard life. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and and his character was not served, I think, by the plot of book five. Uh, before his death, his character was not served. But more than that, I would argue it's almost uncharacteristic the way he's portrayed in in book five too. Uh, not the man we were led to believe. I'm I'm used to characters falling that, short. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's but, the part. Yeah, and that's the part that I hadn't that I think was very illuminating what you just said because that was very much my feeling on Sirius Black was I liked him up until I didn't like him anymore and then he died and so i think it was because he his most recent uh i guess participation in yeah. the plot was so annoying that when he went i was like oh well okay moving on do you but feel that way about lupin? that lupin i lupin i enjoy but obviously i have issues with in book seven yeah um not great uh there's there's a lot of too. yeah there's a lot of uh there's a lot of characters that i own that i get turned off of throughout the series and i hadn't really thought of it in that light before but it's i mean obviously it's because of the writing but it's because of particularly how the writing went like tonks for instance tonks was awesome until she wasn't, until she was piney and, and like completely. Yep. She allows herself to be ruined, decimated by uh, a, foolishly a loving... date rejection. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah and, Rowling and I think, didn't have to make her so weak. She was introduced no. as this strong, spunky yeah. young chick. Yeah. So I guess I guess I always thought of that as like, well, these are the characters, and this is why like I get annoyed by the characters. But really, if you break it down. I, I I really liked Sirius up until book five. Yeah. And so look, I, it's I, like, it makes total sense. It's like, actually, don't like the that part of the writing. <laughs> no, yeah. and But it's weird because the because there was a period of time where it was like every word J.K. Rowling ever wrote is 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 sacred. Right? Yeah. Uh, there was a period of time where I, a lot of people felt that way. Yeah. And this whole death of the author thing that's like a common term in when discussing this is like, and separation of art and artists. And But the death of the author is like, once these books are published, we own them. Uh, like the stories and the characters are ours to imagine new worlds or imagine better with. And that kind of a, that concept of, of that being the case. And Rowling's own flawed, you know, human, she's just a person. Really, yeah. at the end of the day, she's not a god. She's not a queen. She's just a person. So the choices that were made to serve the overall story and certain biases, like uh, we talk about this on MuggleCast sometimes, how every girl that's feminine in the Harry Potter books is shunned. Every girl that is feminine but not, or, or ultra-feminine, like mm -hmm. Umbridge is sickly sweet, right, and and has an obsession with pink, uh, and and any girl that is not a a mother by the end of the books, uh, and even some that are, are killed. 
uh, you know, like Tonks is killed. And it's just like, why does Tonks's character have to revolve around a man at all? Why is she paired with Lupin, who is not at all her age? And why would she get herself into a relationship where she's pining after this guy? And then why, when, why would he have a crisis of faith uh, at the last minute? Because I think he's smarter to police his own emotions and have that freak out sooner. Uh, you know, and it's like when you get into these little individual gripes, you can begin to form kind of these headcanons or you can begin to selectively ignore entire swaths of books. Like it, it, it like for me, how I feel about certain characters, if it's informed by anything they did in book seven, I discount it. I don't I don't actually I never liked book seven. Hmm. And I like a renegade pretend or to or like try and forget it even existed. Like, and that's absurd as a Harry Potter fan, but like, that's my opinion on it because I think that at that point the pressure was on and I think that the author kind of caved and she wrote a book that is coherent. Some people think, you know, book seven is their favorite. Great. Uh, You know, Harry has a good arc um, and that pays off well, but a lot of these characters I think get similarly assassinated Mm -hmm. by poor choices that they make. Not to say a character can't be flawed, okay, but Lupin already had flaws before book seven. It was interesting to learn Mm -hmm. how his lack of self-esteem would affect, you know, his whole character trajectory. But you didn't need to make him a wife abandoner. Yeah. Uh, You know, and and then the worst part of that was Harry uh, was rolling, turning it into a win for Harry because Harry needed more than anything else a guide to all the camping. And Lupin was the perfect person for that. And it was so good when he showed up and offered, I thought. But then she has Harry take the position of, you, SOB, you're you're doing the exact opposite thing my parents would want by Mm -hmm. completely abandoning your kid. And as an orphan, I hate you for it. And it's just like, where did that come from, Harry? You were (laughs) equally ready to like, but because she needed that point be made, she made it, she made Harry make it. And Mm -hmm. nothing has ever felt out of, as out of character to me than what Harry says to Lupin and making him feel bad. But like, it gets Lupin off their back so they can continue to be alone and camp for eight months. Like, it's just like, these choices are just wild. And so if they inform kind of why I, like a character, don't like a character, I discredit them. But the, the the consequences, I can't necessarily be said to be as, you know, you kind of do have to take in a, a character's full arc in order to properly, I think, defend why they're your favorite or why you like them to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that for me, it exists in this nebulous area where it's partly, it's mostly canon. But then I'll I'll forgive a moment of like, poor writing or stress writing or plot contrivances that Mm -hmm. would otherwise cause me to dislike a character. Mm. It sounds like uh, what I need to do is revisit my favorite characters through that lens or up until the, this is actually would be an interesting exercise to do a character study of each one and their arc. And like, at what point do I do you like go one way or the other, whether you like them or don't like them or whatever. And like, what was it that caused that? Was it this decision? Was it in like, where did that come from? That could be a fairly interesting, like study to do probably by somebody smarter than me, but it, it could be fun. I don't know how many characters you can uh, find your way to do it with, but like, like serious, I think is a, a really good example of that because again, he was introduced one way and was that way and was really really cool for a while until he wasn't tonks was introduced one way and was really cool that way until she wasn't like it they all kind of any of them that you could say fell fell off or fell apart or to to a certain extent it's kind of the same it's kind of the same pitfall that they fall into and ultimately that pitfall ends up being plot Yeah, like there needed to be an orphan at the end of Harry Potter books to reflect back on Harry's start. Yeah. And so Lupin and Tonks both had to die. So yeah. the idea that throughout all of Harry's sixth year, Tonks is suffering, and at the end of year seven, she dies, um, is not necessarily her fault as no. a character. <laughs> no, uh, it's not. And, and, and yeah, in real life, we all fall in love with somebody who's bad for us or fall in love with somebody that we should. I mean, I... I, I'm not speaking from personal experience, of course not. Um, you know, we all get involved with people we shouldn't be involved in, and we make terrible mistakes in love because we feel. 
And that's not my issue with Tonks. That's no. not what, like, my issue is when you start connecting the idea that a plucky uh, female character that didn't need a man was all of a sudden made to need a man. And then mm-hmm. not only that, but need a man so bad yeah, that it that changes was like her Patronus and then make her into a mom and kill her. I'm sorry, but the author has some issues she was working out with that character. Yeah. And it is not the character that was promised, sort of. Yeah. And this is where I get like really indignant and like righteous anger about, you know, this book series that we've been reading for <laughs> 25 years. It's just like ridiculous to even hear myself talk about it. But it's like, this is how passionate the, these are the passions that these stories inflame. Mm-hmm. And again, it does, though, go back to the writing and it goes back to the cultural touchstone and what each of us in our heads finds so invigorating about these stories to begin with. So I can simultaneously blame a lot on the author that I don't like and be like, well, this author still wrote this stuff that I really engage with in a way that I never engage with anything else. Yeah. No. Speaking of divisive last, last piece, and I will let you get back to your life. The TV series very divisive currently in its re- uh the reaction to it for many many reasons are you excited about the tv series simple as that no no why the only people officially attached to the tv series now are jk rowling and her production company and her lawyers and that's fair i think that we even in the course of this episode, have talked about some of her lawyers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And what we haven't touched on is sort of J.K. Rowling and her history of litigation personally, uh, and J.K. Rowling's own political views and the things that she is using lawyers to do now. Uh, and so when we talked about this episode on, uh, or when we talked about the TV series announcement on MuggleCast, um, the hope in all of us uh, on the panel was, wow, what a great opportunity, not only for the TV series to uh, fill in some gaps that the mm-hmm. movies omitted. You could tell the whole Marauders story. You could do a whole season of it if you wanted to. Uh, but then in in terms of diversity, uh, yeah. you could you could have Hermione be black from the get go and not, uh, you know, from Cursed Child inventing, you know, or being the first kind of to trailblaze and make Hermione a black character. You can have more mixed race students at Hogwarts instead of the five that exist in the movies, uh, you know, and 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 you can make a more diverse and re- because the power of children, like especially in minority groups, seeing themselves represented in mm-hmm. an art form is more important than anyone's bigotry than anyone else's like desire to to be like well what were the racial quantities of and percentages in britain in the 90s like (laughs) was it really that diverse like if i see an indian student at hogwarts that isn't uh padma or parvati i'm gonna flip like (gasps) uh no you have a chance to make the most diverse and interesting uh adaptation of harry potter yet am i excited about the tv series so I've always thought this uh, book series should be told in a longer format than the movies. The movies skipped too much because they had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but based on the current people attached to it and 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 like literally no one else at this point, it shows me what the priorities were. The priorities were lockdown rolling into this TV so that we can make these shows and make more money. And she doesn't have, she is a team of yes men that are going to be more restrictive. There will never be a trans person on this show. Uh, let's just say that. Uh, and I, because the original books fall short and have faced some criticism of stereotyping of racial characters, like a girl named Cho Chang. Uh, you know, the one that, the one that was just recently pointed out to me through another podcast that I hadn't even thought about yet was Kingsley Shacklebolt. Jesus, when you say it like that. <laughs> right? Uh, so, so right. Okay. So, 
there are some blind spots, maybe some possible cultural insensitivities that exist in the original books. A TV series under the right helm could smooth those sorts of things out. Do I think J.K. Rowling personally has an interest in smoothing things out? No, she's done nothing but double down on her bigotry yeah. over the last three That's years. That's true. Very true. I understand it relates to trans people, not black people, but come on, because like you are not the kind of person that seems open or willing to have a discussion about diversity and inclusion. And so, no, I am not hopeful that the TV series will be at all more inclusive than the movies were. Uh, and she may use the opportunity of the TV shows to actually work in some kind of weird trans rhetoric, like uh, the fact that Moaning Myrtle was killed by a boy in a girl's bathroom. Uh, mm. You know, the the entire, like, saga is a ticking time bomb of jk rowling being able to get another soapbox in an era where she should be canceled and removed completely from any influence that her current political leanings can possibly do because they're doing real harm to real people sorry i got so fired and so <laughs> political there at the end but no, if this is a, a soapbox for an author who we've already heard from and gotten the stories from, then I'm not excited about the books. And you would have to get somebody like David Heyman, but who I who I also feel do through like through Fantastic Beasts, first of all, doesn't owe us anything, but also I question his judgment because some of those other movies were a confusing mess that he didn't stop J.K. Rowling and say, we need to make this make more sense for our audience for. So I don't think anybody is currently in J.K. Rowling's sphere that can stop her from being either convoluted or hurtful to others. And uh, unless you like cast somebody incredibly diverse as like a director, like if Laverne Cox is co-writing the series, okay, then I'll maybe be interested. But uh, unfortunately, no. I, I think I feel obligated to see it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel obligated to cover it on MuggleCast, and I'll be bringing up all this stuff surely uh, the closer we get and with every additional announcement. But I love the, how simple your question was because the short answer really for me is unfortunately no. No, and I think everything that you said is fair. And I think everything I think everything that you said is the worst case scenario that it could be. Um, and sometimes the worst case scenario is the more likely what I've tried to do when, when I'm thinking about the TV series is as optimistic as I can be is the other side. You're not creating a TV series that doesn't get the stamp of approval and doesn't put money in their pocket. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. So the first thing that you have to do is get the clearance. The best case scenario, in my opinion, is that. It's a silent partnership and it's literally just a stamp of approval. This is my yeah. creative work. Like you're not going to go completely off the rails and like drive it into the ground kind of thing. And I'm going to get paid. Um, and then somebody else is actually telling the story or interpreting the story to be told, yeah. uh, you know, through, through the TV because and I guess the way that I'm able to warp my mind into some hope that that could be the case is her writing is done. The books exist. Right. They are what's being ad adapted. Yeah. There doesn't need to be any pen to paper and direct involvement from her aside from making sure that the check clears, you know, for yeah. her intellectual property. And that's, that's the only, that's the hope that I'm grasping onto it. So when I do episodes about like, you know, what how how could the tv series work but i I, th I think i did a podcast episode of literally how the harry potter tv series could work why it won't <laughs> like, oh, you know what i mean like that kind yeah. of thing um yeah. but it, it's it's really it it really is it's both interesting but also disheartening to think of it through the lens of probably what's most likely and that's what you laid out yeah and like another thing is that during when the films were being made um the children were in shorter contracts. So yeah. there was a very real possibility that the films would be made without the main trio uh, all back for each film. There was a very serious consideration, I think between movies four and five, when Emma Watson considered like leaving, yeah. leaving the series. I remember hearing about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. And it's like, you know, eventually they were able to all come to terms and negotiate and realize also that it meant so much to them and that they completed their work. Well, yeah. future cast members won't have that option. 
No. If you are cast in this TV series, you are signed in a 10-year contract for eight or however many seasons they want to do, plus Curse Child, because Warner Brothers is going to get theirs. Short-term contracts don't exist anymore. Uh, you're locked in at a certain price with an increase. Like You don't get to renegotiate. They're not going to play that game twice. They're not, gonna, you're, they're, they're not going to lose their Hermione twice or yeah, almost and, lose their Hermione. And if you're 11 years old, who's making that decision for you? Your parents. Yeah. So it's or, not even, you know. And, yeah. Or it'll have to be maybe there's a labor law, which these things exist just to like foil, uh, you know, they may be the only course of action. Maybe it'll be that a, a child can't sign a contract that remains in effect into their adulthood. That there will be, be. be a defined, like, renegotiation where once they're a certain legal age, they can then get more money or walk away. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm thinking, based on the history of litigious uh, Warner Brothers, <laughs> that these children, who wouldn't want to be in the new Harry Who wouldn't want to be the new Harry Potter? Right. Or the new Hermione Granger? How can you say no to an opportunity as an 11-year-old of being internationally known and famous, and how can your parents say no to that money? Um, so I see it as quite pessimistically like coercion and slavery Ugh. and like horrible, worse words by, by concept in concept, like by definition, uh, because it's, it's because the Warner brothers needs the sure thing that's going to make them their money because Harry Potter is only it's cash cow as long as they can continue, you know, putting new book covers on stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, you know, they're not going to take any chances and kids are going to get roped into contracts. And it's like, what if uh, one of those kids decides to like come out as trans someday? Like, you know, they're not going to be able to uh, essentially until they're done with the, you know, the book. It's just, it's just a whole mess. Yeah. However, here's 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 something. I think it's okay to be excited about the TV show. Well, I think it's yeah. I think it's okay to be both. Yeah. That that's my I, I guess that's my like for me, I'm not optimistic that it's going to be successful. I'm not optimistic that it's going to be received well. I'm not optimistic that it's going to have the right intentions. I'm not optimistic that the people who are creating it are going to do a good job. But there is a there is a way that this could be presented and could be done that could be very exciting to watch. You know what I mean? Like, and I think it's okay for both of those things to be true. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. unfortunate that we're here. Yeah, I mean, serialized storytelling in TV shows uh, really came to prominence with things like Star Trek: Deep Space Nine in the '90s. Uh, but more specifically in like the 2000s, you get like shows like Lost tune in every week. There's a cliffhanger, uh, you know, pretty much every episode. And TV has supplanted movies as the primary medium for storytellers. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to tell any st serialized story, TV is the medium to do it. Think about got literally any event TV series of all time. So TV was always or was has come in to be. The replacement medium it makes sense to tell the harry potter stories which were <laughs> never as fully adapted as they could have been in a two and a half hour per year time slot yeah so yeah there's a lot to be excited about to be honest because there's going to be however it's done there's going to be a lot to like yeah. that's that's the other thing is however it's done there's going to be a lot <laughs> to like so are we strong enough to be like this is wrong are we ever going to not watch it and that's what they're counting on i think uh yeah. you know this will make a boatload of cash no matter who's attached no matter who is cast yeah unless they just shit the bed i guess it could be bad i mean if you look at jk rowling's output over the last you know 10 15 years uh <laughs> it hasn't exactly been the most like resonating problem free content no it and i mean i i guess what i mean by shit the bed is like literally you cast an 11 year old that ends up just being bad at it you know and like the 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 acting is bad the the quality of um of set is bad the the effects are bad you know what i mean like that 
that could be a catalyst for everyone saying like we're not going to watch because of the quality you know and and maybe that's the 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 what would what's the old the straw that would break the camel's back but until right. then like i think there's i think there's just so much interest and intrigue in this fandom still after all this time i mean we're talking about the fandom here we're always 20 years into this fandom like it's so strong there's going to be people within the fandom that decide not to watch this and like do do you you know what i mean but like there's going to be so there's going to be enough people that are interested in watching it that it will get watched it's going to make money and at least until the show proves that it's not worth watching yeah, which I don't think it'll ever do just due to the I have to price. imagine, yeah, I have to imagine it can't be that bad. But I mean, you know, there's Netflix is full of bad, bad shows, so <laughs> who knows? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, Andrew, my guest co-host, uh, likes to say that general audiences are unfamiliar with J.K. Rowling's uh, yeah. problems, toxicity. Um, and I think... At one point, that was certainly true. I also think it's still true to most most extent um, that your general audience just wants something to distract the kids with, just want to mm-hmm. put something on that they are going to connect to, that they're going to watch, that they're going to stay off their phones or stay off drugs or whatever to watch. <laughs> you know, parents always keeping their kids away from their phones and away from drugs. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> the two things that I'm trying to do with my daughter: stay off of your phone, stay off of drugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the experience <laughs> and 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 the joy you'd get in showing your child the latest TV episode of Harry Potter when you when yeah. you maybe raise them reading the books to them at bedtime. Oh, yeah, it's irresistible. I'm sorry, like it doesn't matter who you are, how badly you feel about J.K. Rowling, like some of those opportunities it because it, that that's the downside of the art standing uh for itself right yeah where you're like it doesn't matter that the author is actively causing harm because i'm gonna have a good hour of television with my family mm. and that has its own value that runs you know non-intersecting it runs parallel to the other issues with the world but i'm gonna enjoy my tv show and everyone choosing to do that which they're very right to do uh is not stopping you know sort of the elephant in the room the problem but but yeah it's it's totally valid to be excited for the films or the books finally getting the adaptation they deserve because i think the media the medium has always called for a longer more extended play than what the movies Mm -hmm. could offer um but that doesn't also like you're saying about both things being true it doesn't mean it's also not a shameless money grab from uh, the powers (laughs) that be because rather than inventing new content now they're which they tried with fantastic beasts now they're you know rehashing and rebooting because they know what works yeah well that was my that was my takeaway when when the announcement came that that's what they were doing my my thing was well the new content that has been put out there has been uh received ultimately poorly the the movies have been canceled cursed child is mostly aside from people watching the play they mostly say it's terrible the only content that's actually come out for this fandom that everybody agrees that they like are the books so like yeah it it, if they're going to make new content it makes sense that they would do what people have proven to like as opposed to try to make something new again and almost prove that they can Uh, my i guess my pie in the sky hope is that the that the silent partnership will exist and that will be somehow known you know what i mean like i i'm yeah. sure that there will be a i'm sure that there would be some kind of a hush hush uh of her not wanting people to know that she's not really involved but i'm hoping that it gets out that she's not really involved uh directly and it's really just we have to have her on board to make this um and then the TV series is not only able to tell the stories with with more uh, with the detail that they um, that they deserve to be told on screen that the movies couldn't do, but also from that we see some different perspectives from it mm-hmm. um, and and different different uh, portrayals of the events that we know to take place, and then that it launches spinoffs of the new content that people have been really wanting i just did a um five backdoor pilot like spinoff ideas for the new tv series where it's like it had like 
the this season launches the Marauder spinoff show. This season launches the yeah. Founder spinoff show. This season launches cool. blah 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 blah. People have heard me say this before uh, already, but that's that's like my pie in the sky hope of what it could be, and it's like that's what to me what what is exciting about the idea. But like, I have no hope that it's actually going to take place that way. Uh, well, we'll you know, just have to wait and see. I, I guess so. And you're going to be there to chronicle all of it. Yeah. With with MuggleCast, you are, I, I think you're contractually obligated, if I heard correctly, at least through 25 or is it 26? It's a comfy life. <laughs> I mean, Thank because you. apart from the content, uh, interacting with my co-hosts, you know, we all yeah. really do actually like each other. Uh, and the idea that uh, we have been doing this 18 years with four of oh my like gosh. The, there have only been seven or maybe eight hosts of MuggleCast and four of them are still doing this after so much you know time shows that we really 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 do get along and like yeah. each other and um, we're all committed to quality and we're all committed to you know our, our podcast has taken a stance against JK Rowling who we refer to as the author um, and we are not shying away from topics that are uncomfortable to us as a result of that stance as well. Um, but we genuinely enjoy talking about something that meant so much to us and we genuinely enjoy interacting with each other. So, uh, yeah, the idea of still doing MuggleCast another several uh, <laughs> years yet, uh, is joyful because it has meant so much to me and it's provided so many opportunities like this one, uh, for me to talk with interesting people, <laughs> uh, and, and have a lot of fun while doing it. Well, I appreciate you slumming it. Um, aside from MuggleCast, like plug anything. Anything and everything. Plug anything. Anything. Oh, God, what do I want to plug? Um, okay, if you're watching, did you watch um, HBO's The Last of Us? I haven't seen it. It's possibly a a, a series that could be covered on on this on this podcast cool. in five it, years. I don't know. I was a huge fan of those <laughs> games. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been a huge fan of those games, and I did a podcast uh, when the show came out. Uh, and and it's on. Um, so I have a personal podcast that's called Thank You for Spieling, uh, and it's available wherever podcasts are found. I've had about twenty three episodes that were just me interviewing my friends uh, mm -hmm. about things that they were passionate about, and it was a lot of fun. Although there were a few episodes actually uh, that contained very true sciency details about COVID, because yeah. that was the year that that happened. Yeah, uh, and. There's some really good content on the podcast feed that is some of like my proudest uh, stuff of, of all time as podcaster. Um, <laughs> but then the podcast, thank you for sporing uh, is uh, spores being like the fungus that controls people in the last of us, which causes zombie apocalypse. Uh, now that is, makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Is released is released on the same feed. So thank you for spilling is my plug. Uh, for myself and uh, it, but the re or the recap episodes of the show are all on that as well. And I did it with my buddy and uh, yeah, it's just been good. The few times I've, I, I mean, I've been on multiple podcasts uh, even in the long term, uh, many years for like different podcasts throughout the years, but thank you for spilling was the first time. Uh, that it was like my show completely. Mm -hmm. And so the creative control that that afforded me and, you know, I, I have had like Micah on a two-part episode before mm -hmm. as my guest and I had my mom on as a guest. Uh, <laughs> and there's even a recording of myself as a, I think, nine-year-old uh, that I did on a cassette tape that I later found and released as a podcast episode. So I had my, <laughs> like my own radio show. You would love that one, actually. It's, uh, it's called the, the Eric and Nobody Else Show. Uh, and, <laughs> I remember uh, seeing that episode title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because uh, the radio I listened to had a morning show called The Mike and Dave Show. And I was just like, well, what friends will record? I was Eric and Nobody Else. But yeah, I just had a wild amount of fun doing that. And uh, it's currently on hiatus. I don't know what season three of that show will look like um but check it out because i think there will be a topic uh of one of the episodes or more that uh each of you find interesting um i can vouch for that i was literally just listening to the one year um oh, with juliana yeah last night i was listening to it um and it was you hearing you reflect on it it made me like almost bookmark different episodes i wanted to go back to, to oh. prior to that um i just haven't gotten all the way back there yet because i i had heard another one and i for the life of me cannot 
remember which one it was that I had that I'd heard previously. And then I was listening to that one. Um, I did not see last of us. So I had to go, I had to at least scroll back prior yeah, skip to through that. Yeah. For uh, sure. I had to scroll back really no pressure. I just didn't, uh, uh, um, cause those ones I, I wasn't familiar with, but as soon as I got to stuff, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to these. So everybody else should too. Yeah. But thank you for the opportunity <laughs> and thanks for having me on belated bed. I got to tell you, this wouldn't, uh, we get on well. Uh, I don't think this will be my last appearance on this show. I, I hope not. At some point, the, the chapters are going to pick back up. Um, I'm uh, very close to where you all are in your chapter by chapter. Uh, when I put those kind of on the back burner for a second, um, it might be you all's fault. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> don't want to don't compete with the big but, fish. Huh? You know what? That's actually no, nobody cares about this. Um, but that's one of the reasons that this started as a Harry Potter podcast. It was never intended to be a Harry Potter podcast, quote unquote. Mm. And I said that in my opening episode and I credited you all as um, as like if you want a Harry Potter podcast, Aww. like <laughs> go there. Um, this was always intended to be a belated binge podcast. Some yeah. of some of my favorite forms of entertainment that I have found, I was incredibly late to find them and harry potter was among one of those um and so i i'm I'm covering it i'm covering sons of anarchy um i'm covering the office like these things that i really 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 like that i almost missed entirely and part of the reason that it started out as harry potter is when i started this podcast there were two actors from the sons of anarchy show that were doing a rewatch podcast and they're still uh office ladies two actresses from the office that were doing rewatch podcasts. And I was like, there's no scenario in which anybody would want to hear me give any thoughts on these episodes while those are happening. So I was like, well, I'm going to jump into Harry Potter, see if this has legs. There's plenty I can talk about. And then I'll introduce the other ones later. And that's what's ultimately happened so far. Um, But yeah, uh, the fact that, but I also um, wanted to do more topic with you since we would be talking about chapters that you literally just talked about on your own podcast if yeah, we stuck yeah. to the chapter by chapter format. So it all worked out kind of perfect. Sure. Yeah, um, I appreciate pivoting. No, it, it it's great. I'm I'm so glad you were here. This has been a ton of fun for me. Um, very fulfilling. Uh, as far as all the things, belatedbinge.com for the stuff. Um, Patreon.com slash belatedbinge for bonus content. Other you know, perks that are there right now. I'm actually sharing, uh, a sequel fan fiction. I started writing in 2020 of the sons of anarchy TV show. Um, I'm doing like, I'm, I'm reading the chapters audiobook style. I got 11 chapters into this thing and I'm sharing them on Patreon. So if you're interested in hearing that, uh, you can hear all of the, uh, chapters that have been recorded and, uh, edited to this point uh as i'm saying this out loud the first three chapters are available uh, i still have editing to do on several others and several more to record but as Life. i get done with them yeah as i get done with them they're going on patreon there's not a release schedule for those i'm not holding them back for content's sake as soon as they're uh, available they're available to the patrons um of course there's potter content on there a whole bunch of bonus episodes that I've done there, um, behind the mics that I've done there, extra chats from guests that I've had, all, all, all of that. And uh, like I said, on the main feed here, we will get back into chapter, chapter, chapter by chapter type stuff um, here very soon, I think. Uh, we're in early uh, Prisoner of Azkaban uh, at this point on those, so I'll probably do a little little recap, uh, maybe see if I can convince Eric here to to come back on for, for some of those chapters You're lucky maybe it's my once favorite he's... book so <laughs> yeah could probably do that uh again thank you for uh for doing this and uh thank you all for listening and telling all your potterhead friends how cool they would be too if they joined us on our belated binge of harry potter that'd be awesome